Welcome back to the Hemingway List podcast, the best podcast ever. I'm a bit out of breath because I just took these um, sort of uh, immunity tablets, immune system boosters, um, vitamin C and, and echinacea and garlic, and they're so gross. They're really, really garlicky. And um, so I just took some because I'm a bit paranoid. I'm about to get sick, right? And they did not want to go down my throat. I had to swallow them like three times and they kept like, I kept like kind of heaving them back up because they taste so bad. But then every time I did that, and you'll love this, I bet you're really enjoying hearing me say this. Um, Every time I did that, more of the flavor of the garlic was released because like the film on top of them was sort of, I suppose, you know, wearing off. So, um, that was an ordeal, and this podcast is now brought to you by a glass of orange juice that I made to chase it all down with. Hmm. I say orange juice, but I just shove a whole orange into a, like a little bullet blender thing, and a little bit of water, so it's a whole orange in there. Which is good, you need those bioflavonoids. Um, all right, what are we actually talking about? Oh, yeah, a book of human bondage, chapter 62. I mean, I'd take a free trip to Paris. These two, they are getting ridiculous. Swims to the Mama Fishy said this, haha, there is no such thing as a free trip. It's right there in the chapter. Philip wants to take her to Paris in return for sex and then dump her. It does seem that way, doesn't it? Although I wonder if it's a little bit of him sort of getting fed up with her attitude towards him, where he's like, all right, well, I kind of want out of this now, but I've come this far. <laughs> you know, something along those lines. Mm. That's good orange juice. Intrepa said, at least there was some honest talk of feelings or lack of them. At the end of the chapter, Mildred actually wants to know what Philip really thinks of her and why he keeps hanging around. She was very straightforward on the marriage issue. If Philip was really interested in marrying her, he should be paying attention to his studies so he has a rich life to offer her. There have been no romantic long-term dreams of them living together and having children. She's just an itch he hasn't been able to scratch yet. I think he, I think you're right, but I don't know, I don't know if it started off that way for Philip, you know, I think earlier on he was really in love with her and infatuated with her and wanted to be with her, and I know that was mostly lust and, and rose-tinted glasses, but I don't think at that point he was thinking, all right, I just want to get this out of my system, I think he genuinely, you know, thought they should be together, but by now he's sort of starting to see how disinterested she is. And it does seem like for him it's a bit of like a sunken cost fallacy where he's like, oh, I've put this much effort in, I still am attracted to her. <laughs> it just seems like he just wants to sleep with her. Uh, so, I mean, these two, they're awful. They're awful for each other. Um, I wonder if Mildred, what is her sort of attitude towards sex? You know, it was a long time ago. Uh, and in a very kind of, I suppose, conservative time and place, England, at the turn of the century. Um, so 
it doesn't seem like she would sort of just, I don't know, actually, I don't know. Would she be the kind of person who would have, um, what's it called, like sex before marriage? There's a word for that. But Or is for her, is sex sort of, no, that means we're getting married sort of deal. Um, Laura Weistich said this, Mildred is not a nice person, but Philip is another level. He both considers drugging her and thinks about how he'd make her suffer if they were married in one chapter. <laughs> that comment about him wanting to drug her, he's crazy. He's a crazy person. Um, I love it. <laughs> it's very entertaining. Um, but I am rapidly losing respect for this character, and I do wonder how it's going to be regained from this point. You know, for, I don't know, for the rest of this book, I don't think I can see Philip as anything, but uh, a kind of petty and insecure man. So the, the only hope we really have is that this whole section of the book is reflected as like, you know, when he was young and hot-headed and he sort of evolves out of that into a more mature person, then he could sort of scrape back some respect. But does he? Will he? That's the question. Now, it doesn't really seem like that's going to happen. All right. <clears throat> shall we keep reading? I think we shall. What are we up to here? Chapter 63 goes like this. Philip. Oh, wait. I nearly forgot. Sorry. Before we do that, an advertisement, as is our custom. Patreon.com slash the Hemingway list if you would like to support the podcast. That's patreon.com slash the Hemingway list. Oh, I'm struggling here. I feel like those um, <clears throat> garlic tablets are just still trying to not be in my stomach. Like they're trying to come back up. Ugh, gross. All right. <laughs> Sorry. Let's read. Chapter 63. Philip did not pass the examination in anatomy at the end of March. Ah, oh, Philip. He and Dunsford had worked at the subject together on Philip's skeleton, asking each other questions till both knew by heart every attachment and the meaning of every nodule and groove on the human bones. But in the examination room, Philip was seized with panic and failed to give right answers to questions from a sudden fear that they might be wrong. He knew he was ploughed and did not even trouble to go up to the building next day to see whether his number was up. The second failure put him definitely among the incompetent and idle men of his year. He did not care much. He had other things to think of. He told himself that Mildred must have senses like anybody else. It was only a question of awakening them. He had theories about women to rip the rip at the rip at heart and thought that there must come a time with everyone when she would yield to persistence. It was a question of watching for the opportunity, keeping his temper, wearing her down with small attentions, taking advantage of physical exhaustion, which opened the heart to tenderness, making himself a refugee from the petty vexation, uh, sorry, a refuge from the petty vexations of her work. 
He talked to her of the relations between his friends in Paris and the fair ladies they admired. The life he described had a charm, an easy gaiety, in which was no grossness. Weaving into his own recollections the adventures of Mimi and Rodolphe, of Massette and the rest of them, he poured into Mildred's ears a story of poverty made picturesque by song and laughter, and of lawless love made romantic by beauty and youth. He never attacked her prejudices directly, but sought to combat them by the suggestion that they were suburban. He never let himself be disturbed by her inattention, nor irritated by her indifference. He thought he had bored her. By an effort he made himself affable and entertaining. He never let himself be angry. He never asked for anything. He never complained. He never scolded. When she made engagements and broke them, he met her next day with a smiling face. When she excused herself, he said it did not matter. He never let her see that she pained him. He understood that his passionate grief had wearied her, and he took care to hide every sentiment which could be in the least degree troublesome. He was heroic. Though she never mentioned the change, for she did not take any con conscious notice of it, it affected her nevertheless. She became more confidential with him. She took her little grievances to him, and she always had some grievance against the manageress of the shop, one of her fellow waitresses or her aunt. She was talkative enough now, and though she never said anything, that was not trivial. Philip was never no she sorry. She was talkative enough now, and though she never said anything that was not trivial, Philip was never tired of listening to her. <clears throat> oh, excuse me. I like you when you don't want to make love to me, she told him once. That's flattering for me, he laughed. She did not realise how her words had made his heart sink, nor what an effort it needed for him to answer so lightly. Oh, I don't mind your kissing me now and then. It doesn't hurt me, and it gives you pleasure. Occasionally she went so far as to ask him to take her out to dinner, and the offering coming from her filled him with rapture. I wouldn't do it to anyone else, she said, by way of apology, but I know I can with you. You couldn't give me greater pleasure, he smiled. She asked him to give her something to eat one evening towards the end of April. All right, he said. Where would you like to go afterwards? Oh, don't let's go anywhere. Just sit and talk. You don't mind, do you? Rather not. He thought she must be beginning to care for him. Three months before, the thought of an evening spent in conversation would have bored her to death. It was a fine day, and the spring added to Philip's high spirits. He was content with very little now. I say, won't it be ripping when the summer comes along, he said. As they drove along on the top of a bus to Soho, she had herself suggested that they should not be so extravagant as to go by cab. We shall be able to spend every Sunday on the river. We'll take our luncheon in a basket. She smiled slightly and was, and he was encouraged to take her hand. She did not withdraw it. I really think you're beginning to like me a bit, she, he smiled. You are silly. You know I like you, or else I shouldn't be here, should I? They were old customers at the little restaurant in Soho by now, and the patron gave them a smile as they came in. The waiter was obsequious. Let me order the dinner tonight, said Mildred. 
Philip, thinking her more enchanting than ever, gave her the menu and she chose her favourite dishes. The range was small and they had eaten many times all that the restaurant could provide. Philip was gay. He looked into her eyes and he dwelt on every perfection of her pale cheek. When they had finished, Mildred, by way of exception, took a cigarette. She smoked very seldom. I don't like to see a lady smoking, she said. She hesitated a moment and then spoke. Were you surprised my asking you to take me out and give me a bit of dinner tonight? I was delighted. I've got something to say to you, Philip. He looked at her quickly. His heart sank, but he had trained himself well. Well, fire away, he said, smiling. You're not going to be silly about it, are you? The fact is, I'm going to get married. Are you? said Philip. He could think of nothing else to say. He had considered the possibility often and had imagined to himself what he would do and say. He had suffered agonies when he thought of the despair he would suffer. He had thought of suicide, of the mad passion of anger that would seize him. But perhaps he had too completely anticipated the emotion he would experience so that now he felt merely exhausted. He felt as one does in a serious illness when the vitality is so low that one is indifferent to the issue and wants only to be left alone. <clears throat> you see, I'm getting on, she said. I'm 24 and it's time I settled down. He was silent. He looked at the patron sitting behind the counter and his eye dwelt on a red feather one of the di diners wore in her hat. Mildred was nettled. You might congratulate me, she said. I might, mightn't I? I can hardly believe it's true. I've dreamt it so often. It rather tickles me that I should have been so jolly glad that you asked me to take you out to dinner. Whom are you going to marry? Miller, she answered with a slight blush. Miller, cried Philip, astounded. But you've not seen him for months. He came into lunch one day last week and asked me then. He's earning very good money. He makes seven pounds a week now and he's got prospects. Philip was silent again. He remembered that she had always liked Miller. He amused her. There was in his foreign birth an exotic charm which she felt unconsciously. I suppose it was inevitable, he said at last. You were bound to accept the highest bidder. When are you going to marry? On Saturday next. I have given notice. Philip felt a sudden pang. As soon as that? We're going to be married at the registry office. Emil prefers it. Philip felt dreadfully tired. He wanted to get away from her. He thought he would go straight to bed. He called for the bill. I'll put you in a cab and send you down to Victoria. I dare say you won't have to wait long for a train. Won't you come with me? I think I'd rather not, if you don't mind. It's just as you please, she answered haughtily. I suppose I shall see you at tea time tomorrow. No, I think we'd better make a full stop now. I don't see why I should go on making myself unhappy. I've paid the cab. He nodded to her and forced a smile on his lips, then jumped on a bus and made his way home. He smoked a pipe before he went to bed, but he could hardly keep his eyes open. He suffered no pain. He fell into a heavy sleep almost as soon as his head touched the pillow. All right. There you go, another chapter down. Hopefully that's the end of that saga of Philip and Mildred. Have your say over at the subreddit. Thanks very much for listening and I'll see you tomorrow.